are in a series called Own the Real. Everybody say Own the Real. Oh, you can do better than that. Say Own the Real. There you go. And, uh, and so for all you cool hip people, I, that's slang for just being honest and uh, open. And uh, in this series, what we're doing is we're kind of looking into some of the godly people in the Holy Scriptures and, um, and just kind of identifying the, I, let me just say it like this. The God that I serve is so cool because when he gives the storyline in his holy scriptures about some of these great men and women of God, he doesn't leave out the fact that they got some issues. Isn't that awesome? Like, like think about it. You, you know, you loved your dad or your mom and they passed away. Everybody talking good about it. Ain't nobody going to say, well, she also was a jerk sometimes. Nobody does that. But the holy scriptures is real. And so you see in these characters, these men and women who went before us who served God, you also get to see their issues and God's patience with their issues. And God's using them even though they have, everybody say it with me, issues. And that gives me hope. <laughs> Does that give you hope? It gives me hope that God uses imperfect people. And so with that, that's our key verse in 1 Corinthians. Turn there with me. Go, go ahead and open up your Bible app or you can see it on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27. Look what it says. But God. Everybody say, who did? God. But God chose the foolish things. Don't look at your husband. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Oh, that gives me such hope. That means if he can use anything, he can use me. He takes the foolish things to confound the wise. So, friend, can I tell you something? You may have some issues, but God still wants to use you. You may not have it all together, but God still says, I'll pick her every time because she will do what I've asked her to do. I want you to understand something today. You may not be perfect, but you belong to him. You may not have it all together, but he's working you through. Isn't that good? Somebody say yes. Aren't you grateful that we didn't get saved and all of a sudden had to... I, I grew I grew up in that church where you had to pretend like it was all perfect. I grew up in that church where you had to wear the mask and, and, and act like, you know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, bless God, hallelujah. And in, on the inside, you're just wanting to murder somebody because you're still working through some things. Isn't it good that our God lets us work through some things? He loves us so much that he won't let us stay where we're at, but he doesn't judge us harshly for where we're at. Are you with me? Say yes. And what I love about this passage, if I could break that down for you, and again, this is our key verse for the entire series. The Apostle Paul is dealing with the fact that the Corinthians are in complete conflict. They are conflict. I mean, they're just, just, just known for being in conflict. And this moment, they're in conflict over who's the greatest amongst them. They're talking about, oh, I follow Paul. I follow Paul, uh, 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 Apollos or this one or that one. And, that kind of, and, he, and he writes to them, so are you out of your mind? He said, well, we're not Jesus. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And he, in fact, he goes, I'm so grateful I didn't baptize half of you suckers because then you would be saying that I somehow did something. I'm just a dude. You're just a dude. God is just good. And he, and he goes, and he reminds them in the verse right before this one. He says, let me just remind you that many of you brothers, that when you were called, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were from noble birth. I'm so grateful that God takes people like you and me, everyday folks, and he does great things in our lives. Are you, aren't you there to say yes? Aren't you glad about that? And so it's with that 
that we try to, like last week we looked into the life of uh, Moses, which is really fun. And today we're going to look into the life, here we go, you ready? Noah. Anybody heard of Noah and the ark? Anybody know that storyline? Well, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 6. And I want to lay out for you who Noah was in case you don't know the storyline because you've been living under a rock or something. So uh, Genesis chapter 6, I'm just kidding, verse 5, I'm not kidding, verse 5. It says, and the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become. So there's a season in, in the world history where the wickedness of man became so great. He says, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart, talking about mankind, of his heart was only evil all the time. Only evil all the time. Can you imagine living in a world where everyone's thoughts, hearts, and motives are evil all the time? You say, I, I work with those people. No, no, no. No, you don't. Come on. Stop being so mean about it. It says in the verse 6, and the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. God was sad. Why did I do this? No, I, I, he was grieved that he made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. Verse 7, so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air, for I am grieved that I have made them. Verse 8, but Noah. Everybody say, but Noah. Noah. Try it again. Say, but Noah. Noah. Found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah. And look what it lines out about Noah. It gives some critical pieces about Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. So this passage teaches us that humanity had become so wicked and so foul. Everything that they did was evil. In their hearts, they were always evil. I, I mean, listen, you and I may have some bad days, but I would say most of us don't live with just every thought being evil. Aren't you glad about that? Say yes. Thank you, Mama. Everybody say thank you, Mama, because she's the one that beat that into you. And, 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 and it says that he got so upset with the peoples of the earth. He said, that's it. I'm done. I'm wiping it out. I'm starting over. Control, alt, delete. I'm starting over. Refresh. Done. Burn it down, start again. And he comes up with this concept that he's going to flood the earth, as many of you know. He says, but Noah. He found this guy named Noah, and it calls him right, blameless, righteous, and that he walked with God. It says that he was a righteous man. Your Webster Dictionary defines righteous as acting in accord with the divine or moral law, free from guilt or sin. The Bible says about us that there are no, none righteous, no, not one. This guy is considered by God righteous. He's blameless. There's nothing about him that God can even bring account against him. He's blameless, and it says that he walked with God. Now, I love what Hebrews 11 says about him, verse 7. It says, he, uh, it was by faith that Noah built an ark, excuse me, a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God. Everybody say obey. So this man is righteous. He's blameless, he walks with God, and he's a man of obedience. He obeys God. God tells him go left, he goes left. God tells him go right, he goes right. So if you know the storyline, God picks this guy. Can I ask you a question? If God decided he was going to do something all over again to restart the earth, would he pick you? He would not pick me on the day that right. And he's like, ah, there's got to be somebody else. <laughs> this, is how, this is how wicked the world is and how righteous Noah is. I want to lay the foundation of how righteous he is and how magnificent this man's walk was with God. And if you'll keep reading through the storyline of this passage, you'll find that God tells him, build a boat or an ark, 
as we know it to be called. And he gives him the dimensions and everything. Now, most scholars believe up until this point, there wasn't even, there was no real seafaring life. Uh, that humans on the planet would not even have known about boats and going across oceans and things like that. So this joker is building a boat out in his backyard and he's never even seen one or known about even crossing over oceans and seas and waters. Some even believe that there were not those type of oceans and seas and waters. That was one giant landmass, and uh, and that the oceans were surrounded and most of these ancient folks wouldn't even have known about the ocean. Some believe that. Whatever you're, wherever you fall in that, the point of the matter is this joker is building a boat out in his backyard, and guess how long it takes him? A hundred years. hundred years. I would add to his characteristics, faithful. I mean, think about it. You and I struggle to pray every day just for 20 years and be consistent. This guy's out in his backyard building this boat for a hundred, takes him a hundred years. I want you to think about that. Every time somebody new moved into the neighborhood and came over to their house, knocked on the door, hi, we're the Smiths, I'm the Johnsons, so good to meet you guys. We live just next to, what's, what's going on in your backyard? <laughs> That's my husband, and uh, he's building a boat. A what? A boat. What's a boat? Well, Okay, so water's going to come from all over the place, rip open the earth. It's going to come from the ground, come from the sky. You guys are all going to die because of your wickedness, but we and our family are going to be safe. My husband's out there building a boat. Can you imagine every time he goes to Home Depot, yeah, I need 3 million nails, 7,500 boards on this. And like, what are you building, sir? Well, you're all wicked, and you're all going to die, and God's going to flood you out, and uh, my family, because we're righteous. Now, if you would repent, and the Bible actually says that he goes around, he's a preacher of righteousness, is what uh, the, the, the book of Peter says about him, that he's preaching righteousness, and he's calling all people to repent, but they're not. For 100 years, he's building a boat, telling everybody to repent. Build a boat, tell everybody to repent. God's, God's judging the earth. No one's going to repent. In fact, Jesus refers back to it, and he says, it will be in the last days, it will be like it was in the days of Noah. Everybody's going to go about their business thinking everything's great when they've got wickedness in their life. And he says, and all of a sudden, the end of the world will happen. When Jesus is prophesying about the last moment, the last days of the earth, the end times, if you will, Jesus said, it'll be like it was in the days of Noah. They'll think that they're okay, that they're safe, that everything's okay, when in reality, judgment is coming upon them. And he says, literally, that as Noah built the ark and finished it, and all the animals came in, and God shut the door, and then that guy was in this ark for a hundred days. Did you know that? I know it rained 40 days and 40 nights, but then he was stuck in there. I want you to think about what he did for a, for, excuse me, for a full year. For a full year, 365 days or 360 days, depending on what calendar group that you take from, he was in there with his wife, his three sons and their wives, and a bunch of nasty animals. I want you to think about this for a moment. This guy has been preaching that God's going to bring this destruction to the earth. No one wants to listen. The doors are shut. The rain comes down. I bet they're knocking on the doors at that moment. Let us in. Sorry, God's already shut the doors. Let us in. And every human on the planet is completely drowned out. They're completely killed. He's been in it 40 days, 40 nights. The rain stopped for however long it takes the waters to subside over the earth. And for a year, he's in this boat. Now, I want you to think about this. 
Because most of you lost your mind when we had to shelter in place with our children for about six weeks or however long Texas had us do it. You were trying to figure out ways to go back to work. You were trying to figure out ways to get them in some type of daycare, training center, uh, backyard, tied up in a, in a, in a closet. You, you, you were lo- in fact, <laughs> domestic violence went through the roof during COVID. Through the roof. Because we're just not good at being with each other for so long. This guy's with his family for a year confined in a boat and all they're doing is scooping poop and feeding animals scooping poop and feeding animals at the end of this year God supernaturally opens it all up to them they come out on dry land and if you'll read the whole storyline what transpires there is God then brings him into a new covenant relationship he tells him he says now Noah from this point forward here's what I want you to do he shifts his purpose a little bit He says, from this point forward, I want you to be fruitful and multiply on the land. I want you guys to take take control over the whole world, the land, and I want you to, y'all got to make some babies. We got to replenish this earth. And everything in that kind of shifts. And so Noah's, if you will, purpose shifts. You'll find it in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 1. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Again, a hundred years he had been preaching to everyone. Second Peter says it like this. I quoted it earlier, or referred to it. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. He was constantly, for, and the reason I want to make this point, for 100, for 100 years as he's building this ark, he's warning the world of God's judgment to come. Then all of a sudden it comes. Everyone's gone. Everyone's dead. It's all over. And just he and his family. I want you to picture the loneliness that he would have felt the moment those doors are open. And it's just him and his kids. I want you to think about not having one car sound. What if you woke up tomorrow and there is no sounds, no birds other than what you brought with you. There, there is no movement, no airplanes flying in the sky. There is no, somebody thinking you in heaven. There's no cars, there's no traffic, there's no, there's no body. It's quiet. Cricket, cricket. And then God speaks to him and says, now, here's what I want you to do. First off, God tells him, I make a covenant to never flood the earth again. And he goes, in the sign of my covenant, covenant with you is this rainbow I'm going to put in the sky. I know that that's been hijacked by another group of people. But from the very beginning, this rainbow represents that God loves us and that he will not destroy us again in frustration by way of flood. It's a, it's a marker. It's a remembrance. And they had never seen anything like that before. And God, now, every time we'll see these rainbows, you need to be reminded as a believer, this was God's movement. This was God saying, I will not destroy the earth again by flood. I won't do it again like that. We do know that he'll destroy the earth by fire, but he won't do it again by flood. And he goes, this is my covenant with you. And then he says to him, now, be fruitful and multiply. So he goes from a man who's been the, he's been the, uh, it'd be like being the guy who does uh, demolition all day long. You blow up buildings. That's what he's been doing for 100 years. He's been preaching. It's coming to an end. It's coming to an end. Yes, he's building an ark. But he's telling, when it comes to relationships, he doesn't have long-term relationships. He's re- warning and, re- and call, trying to get them to repent. They don't. He's an evangelist, if you will. Then all of a sudden, it's all over. He comes out of this boat. He's standing there with his children and, it, and his, and his, uh, and his, uh, you know, his uh, uh, daughter-in-law, thank you. And, uh, and there's nothing. And so now they've got to start rebuilding. What a shift of purpose. What a... 
defining moment of change. Like I've always been the demolition man and now I'm going to be the contractor. I'm going to start building relationships and fulfilling this part of what you want done in the earth. And a little bit of difficulty, if you will. I believe he probably, again, subjective, I think he probably moved into a little bit of depression. A little bit of like, whoa. A little bit of like, man, my life is so changed. This is not what I thought I was for 100 years. I was doing this and now I'm doing this. And, uh, and look what it says in Genesis chapter 9. We're going to look at his issue. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 20. So Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Verse 21. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and laid uncovered inside the tent. Listen, most of you would agree. If I was stuck with my kids for, uh, for a full year, stuck in a boat, I'd probably get drunk at the end of it all too. And Now, don't say that. I know y'all would never do that because y'all are Christians. But <laughs> this is what this joker does. He gets out of this boat. He's like, I'm planting the vineyard. And the moment he gets the vineyard planted, the moment he gets this stuff done, he starts, listen, he starts getting them wines. Uh-huh, I'll be there, baby. Fermenting that stuff. Ah, that's not quite there yet. And he gets himself so plastered that, and excuse my Louisiana French, but he's butt naked in the tent. He's just laying out. And his kids, hey, daddy. Oh, dear Jesus. And come busting up in there, and this dude is drunk. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly, be not drunk with wine. Proverbs talks about how wine and, and beer are mockers and, 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 and deceptive to us, and it's not wise. And so we see this guy gets drunk. Obviously, this is not a righteous, blameless, walks with God kind of man. He has an issue. And I would identify this not so much about drunkenness, but it's so much more about medicating with the fleshly. Medicating with the fleshly. And the reason I bring this out today, and we see a great example in Noah, is because in all my years of ministry, one of the things that breaks my heart the most is that when the believer, when a Christian, when a person who really loves God starts going through something really hard, I'll watch us many times begin to medicate with the fleshly. So you're all going to medicate. You all want to find a way for the pain to go away, the frustration to go away. And so what will happen is we'll, get, we'll start medicating with the fleshly. Some of you, because you had a difficult year last year, you have now gotten addicted to binge-watching binge all types of episodes. You have watched every episode of The Office. you watched every episode of this, that, and the other. What used to be times reserved maybe for the Lord or something like that. You're now fleshly medicating. Maybe you've gotten back addicted to things. Maybe you're back into alcohol. Maybe you're back into drugs of some sort. Maybe you're back in popping pills. You you look up and you say, how did that pastor, there was a pastor a couple years ago that lost his whole church and the mega ministry because the elders had to sit him down because he constantly found himself in drunkenness. You know how that stuff starts? It started because of the pressure of what he had to carry as the lead pastor of a very big organization. And he started just medicating with the fleshly, a little sip here, a little something there until finally he finds himself in sinfulness and drunkenness. Or that person, you say, how did they become a porn addict? I, I always knew them to be pure. They were always good people. What happened was somewhere in the midst of going through trials and tribulations and hardships and depressions and disappointments and shifts in purposes and, and having to be stuck in a, in a, in a, in a boat for, for a year with your family and there's no one to walk with, no one to, you, you can't kill them. I mean, they're the only ones left. I mean, you can't beat on them or anything like that, you know? And, 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 and so what, what did he do? He started medicating with the fleshly and I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I've just looked into the eyes of broken families and broken situations, not because anyone meant to be wicked, not because anyone was like, bro, God, I 
I don't really love God, but I love this sin. No, it started with just medicating with the fleshly. A little bit of nicotine here, a little bit more of this over there, a little bit. And before you know it, you've medicated yourself to try to cause the pain, to try to cause the, the suffrage, try to get, get free from the difficulty. I tell people all the time, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd smoke dope. I'd smoke all kinds of weed. I'd do whatever I had to. Why? Because you have no power outside of yourself to be able to make this pain go away. So you've got to try something. And you're trying to do, so I'm going to jump around from relationship to relationship because this one isn't working the way I thought it would be. And so you got all of these habits that start happening simply because you and I begin to medicate with the fleshly instead of falling on our face in the living God and saying, Lord, I need your help right now. God, you've got to fill me with your Holy Spirit afresh. I need to be renewed and restrengthened. And, and Lord, I can't go through this. What they just said to me at work, I, I just can't handle that anymore. When you and I begin to medicate with the fleshly, and what happens is he does this, and it's horrific. you got to understand, he starts out their whole new life in a drunken stupor naked all over the place. And literally has this issue with his own kids. His first son comes in and goes, you got to be kidding me. And kind of mocks him a little bit. And the other two are like, oh, dear God. So literally by the time he comes to from his drunkenness, he starts cursing the one son and blessing the other ones because he knew that what he had done was wrong, but at the same time, they should have handled it a little bit better. It's kind of how the whole storyline goes. We don't see for the next... Uh, it, this man continues to live on almost 300-something years, and there's nothing else that comes about him. Nothing else is said. Nothing else. Noah did this. Noah did that. The Bible doesn't record anything else. I'm sure that he recorded the happenings. That's where we get the storyline from. But nothing significant for the next 300 plus years of his life. What? He, you had 300 more years on the planet. and there, Nothing more significant came from you? I believe he started down the road of medicating fleshly as he looks up and he goes, we're the only ones here. Whoa. I was used to preaching righteousness to everybody. Now they're all dead. None of them turned and changed. I feel like a failure. And he had to walk through all of those things. And I want you to know this, that each and every one of us is so greatly loved by God, but we all have our tendencies to medicate with the flesh, fleshly medications. I've looked into the eyes of great men of God who are now addicted to porn. It didn't start that way. It just, the relationship with the wife wasn't working real good. They weren't intimate for a while, having kids and things like that. And this started down this road of ha habits. I've I, I looked into the eyes of great men and women of God, ladies who loved God with all their heart, and it started with just a little glass of wine. And the next thing you know, man, they're drunken stupors. And they just, and it, just, it started down to just a little bit of, of, of just, you know, checking Facebook and Instagram. And now they're so addicted to what everybody is saying on social media that they can't even get their brain straight because of what? medicating with the fleshly. So if I could today, if I could help you, I know this doesn't apply to anybody here. You would never, ever do that. This is just a message for me and your friends. But if I could just give you a little bit of teaching on how to find freedom from flesh medicating. Can I call it that? Freedom from flesh medicating. Are you with me today? Say yes. Woo, welcome Freedom Day, July 4th. All right, number one, here's the first thing I would teach you to do, and that is own it. Own it. Own it. I struggle with this. Own it. Because only until you own it. I, we've been dealing with a person in the ministry here, and they're going to lose their family. They're going to lose their children have been taken away from them, all because they won't own the fact that they have an addiction. They won't own it. Love God, 
read the Bible, pray, see miracles in their life. But they have an addiction. And it started back in the day when they were going through hardship. And now it's the thing that they go to every time things happen instead of going back to God. Own it. Own it. I got a problem. I do this. I have a tendency to do. own it. When you own it, only when you own it can you find freedom. Are you with me? Say yes. Only say, that's me. That's me. I, I, I'll sit there and I'll watch 12 hours of TV straight, lazy as all get out because, you know, because I just had a bad week or a bad, own it, just own it. I'll go and I'll go by that, you know, that alcohol barn and grab me a couple. Own it. If you'll own it, because if you'll own it, then you can start down the pathway to getting free from it. Because if you don't get free from it, it'll be your identity going forward. You never, no one never meant to be this guy, but there's nothing else about him. This is the last thing recorded about him. That's it. Is that what you want as your epitaph? Is that what you want them to say? Well, you know, he started really good, phenomenal, big story, big boat, crazy cool stuff. But for 300 years, I don't know, he just kind of made wine and sat around talking about the good old days. How does that happen? Because you and I all have the tendency to just kind of medicate on the fleshly. It's what everybody else does. It's our go-to. But as believers, we can have power over it. And if you're going to own it, this is why I'm so committed to small group life. Small group life is not about having Bible studies at somebody's house. I want you to have Christian friends who are just like you, just doing their best to walk this thing out. I just want you to have somebody that you can call and say, hey, listen, man, we, uh, my wife and I, I'm sitting at, I'm sitting at the Circle K right now because my wife and I just went, I, it, it's not good, bro. And that friend says, hey. I'll meet you right there. You hold still. I'm coming. And then you sit in the truck and you talk about how good God is and how stupid you just were. And you, walk, and you own the fact that you, that you lost your temper. And then they say, come on, let's pray about that together. When I saw this years ago, 30-something years ago, our pastor, I was a youth minister, our pastor gave us a, a, a task to, to, to do small groups for young people. And so I started making small groups. Hey, I need you to lead some. And I'll never forget, I came into this living room. And in those days, we just called them home groups, and it was basically Bible study. You'd have a little bit of worship, chips and dips, and worship, and somebody basically preached to everybody. It's kind of worthless, but we did it. And so I'll never forget, we were sitting there in the middle of worship, and this kid is guys and girls, teenagers. Think about being 15 years old, all right? Remember how insecure you were at 15 and 16? We're sitting there worshiping, and it was pretty cool, but, it, you know, you know, pretty, pretty rough. You know, a little kid on the guitar, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your praises and so all of us just in there like this is terrible all of a sudden this kid says hey 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 can i ask can i, I can i ask you guys something i just i want to admit that um i'm struggling with porn and i'm sitting here as a youth pastor i'm like shh, shh there's girls in here and he just goes out he just says, i just don't want to be like i want to be like jesus but man this is the thing that gets me every time he said my dad you know, he, he messed around on my mom and left her, and I don't know why. But and no excuse. It's me. I own it. I'm doing it. I, I'm looking at this stuff on the Internet. I just, I just want you all to pray for me. And he, and he just drops down on his knees. And guys, teenage guys and teenage girls circle around. In the name of Jesus, they start praying for him. He's weeping. I'm crying like, this is heaven. This is what it's supposed to look like. It's not so much you got to sit with a therapist and pay him $300 an hour to tell you all the deep truths. You and I know the deep truths. Stop it. Be like Jesus. That's how deep this whole thing is. 
And all we need every now and then is just a little bit of support and some brothers and sisters that are walking it out with us. And, and when you and I own it, then we can get prayer for it. Then we can get strengthening from it. But if we won't own it, then nobody knows you're going through it and you're pray, playing the little game. I don't want to be a part of that church. I don't want to be a part of that community where we're all playing little games. That it's okay and we're pleased God and we're just, we're just positively confessing it. No, yeah, speak life. But at the same time, let's own it. We're going through it. I need some help. I need the brothers and sisters. Even, even if y'all can't fix me, I'm not asking you to fix me. I'm just asking you to support me as I go through the issues, as I get past the issues, as I'm, as I'm on the journey in the midst of the issues, not as the issue is taken over me. Are you with me? Say yes. Here's the second thing I would teach you to do. You're not going to like it, but it's biblical, so you'll get over it. Number two, fast. You want to get free from the fleshly fast. Fast. Let me take you to the scripture, Isaiah 58, verse 6. God's ticked off at his people who are hypocritical. And they're doing all these fasts that he says, I, don't, I ain't putting up with that. You fasting to try to get my attention. You fasting to get me to do what you want. I'm not putting up with it. Let me tell you the kind of fast I want. And listen to what he says in Isaiah 58, 6. Is it not this kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice. Loose the chains. We've got injustice in the United States. Ain't nobody fasting about it. Everybody, everybody's fighting about it. He said, if you'll start fasting, I'll, I'll loose the chains of injustice around everything. Everybody wants to pick a side and argue back and forth and call everybody back. Everybody got issues. Fast, he says, and I'll, I'll begin to break those chains of injustice. And he keeps on. And he says, and, and the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. He goes on to say, and to loose the burdens. To loose the burdens. You and I carry burdens. Man, if I'm a dad, I'm a dad, but the dad's in here, it's hard to be a good dad in these days. It's hard to, to, to live for God, bring a good income in for my family, watch after my kids, be at all their sports things, teach them how to be godly. And all. That's not easy. That is a burden. And he says, if you'll fast before me, I'll lift the heavy burdens. It's difficult to make it through this old wicked world with all of the stuff that's bombarding our brains, all the perversion, all the lies, all the injustice, all that just, and just, you just sometimes just want to give up. And, and, and I, I deal with people who are suicidal, and they just give up. They can't take it anymore. It becomes so burdensome to them, they would just rather die. And it's because they have not called out to the one who can lift the burden. He says, if you'll fast, I'll lift the burden. I'll break the yoke of bondage over your life. I'll bring forth justice where there has been injustice. But this is the kind of fast that, that, I, that I ask of you. This is the kind of fast that will work if you'll stop doing all the other stuff to lose weight, fasting, you know, so everybody will know that you're spiritual, fasting so that, you know, you can somehow move my hand against what I'm trying to do because you don't want you want to marry this person, but that's not the one for you, so you're fasting, so I'll change my mind. Do what you want, he says. I'm not going to stop you, but at the end of the day, the kind of fast that I'm after is for the, to break the yokes of bondage, to set the captives free. That's the kind of fasting I'm after from you. And so can I just help you a little bit with fasting? Fasting in the Bible is always typically about food and water because they had nothing else. That was their entertainment. They would cook, they'd eat, and they'd sit around dancing. Woo! You know, and that was their... And so he says, so, so most of the time they fasted food and water. We live in a whole nother generation. So I'm constantly telling people, you want to get free from that? Fast social media. Turn it off for a month and see if you don't get free. I'm just so depressed. Fast social media. I just want to kill everybody. Fast movies. 
I just, uh, I just, uh, fast your wife. No, I'm just kidding. But so, <laughs> but there is a fast. What fasting does, it doesn't make you spiritual. It makes you angry. And I'll tell you why. Because you and I, remember, we're made up of a spirit man and a flesh man. That's what we're made up of. Okay? The Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. The thing I don't want to do, I do. The Apostle Paul. Who will deliver me from this flesh man, this man of sin, the, the sinful nature that is at work in my life, while the Spirit of God's at work in my life? And so what fasting does is it chokes out your flesh man, allowing your spirit man to rise. And so in that, that whole process is tough and frustrating. I get, I get a kick out of brand new Christians because when they learn about fasting, I'm going to fast like Jesus 40 days and 40 nights. <laughs> Go ahead, girlfriend. Let's see how far you get. Because it's not so much about the time frame. It's not so much about what you're fasting. It's about a dedication of the Lord, to the Lord and a murdering of my flesh. See, if you're fleshly right now, if none of your solutions or answers are biblical, you're fleshly right now. If you're sitting around and all you're doing is talking evil about people and you're criticizing, you're fleshly right now. I, I, I have these moments. I look up and I'm like, I am so fleshly. I have watched more movies. I have watched more Netflix, you know, been watched more things. I have, I have, boy, I can't even hear God's voice in this whole thing. And what I'll do, and I'm consistent in this, I'll fast. I try to fast weekly, not some big grandiose thing. I don't go around telling everybody, I can't, I can't right now. I'm, I'm fasting. I, no. I'm about murdering the flesh so the spirit man inside of me can rule and reign. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. And so this is my encouragement to you, Christian. If Noah, if Noah would have got a hold of this, I believe we'd have heard 300 more years of crazy miracle stuff. But he began to be fleshly. He medicated because he was going through stuff. He's, yeah. Listen, a six-pack is not going to fix it. Hatton, it's only got you in more trouble. And once you start spiraling in that thing, then you're out of control. You, you don't need to medicate with the flesh. You need to medicate with the things of God. Number one, own it. Number two, fast. Number three, write this one down. This will change your life. Number three, you ready? You still there? Say yes. Change medications. Okay? And let me tell you what I'm talking about. Galatians 5.16 tells us what to do. Change medications from fleshly to spirit-led life. Galatians 5.16, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not, everybody say not, not. try it again, say not. not, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. We all have desires of our sinful nature. We all have issues with our issues. But if we'll walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the sinful nature. The desires within us, the desires within us that come from our sin nature side will not have power over us if we'll learn to walk, stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Now that sounds so ethereal. So let me just give you a little bit more of a mental picture. Some of you have this experience in your life. Times where you're standing there in line at Walmart and all of a sudden you hear God's voice to speak this thing to this person and say this thing to this person. One of our uh, one of our great leaders in our church was telling me the other day, and if I've already shared this with you, that's okay, I'm getting old, I'll repeat myself. He was, he was telling me, because I've shared this with a few friends, he said he was, he was at the gym working out, and he said there was a guy at the gym that was the biggest dude in the gym. The guy. The guy. 
the guy who puts all the weights, and they're all gone, and you have to wait for him to finish his set. He's this guy. And he said, uh, and he said as he was sitting there kind of waiting for him and kind of watching, he said, everybody watches him out of the corner of the eye because this is the guy. He said he felt like the Spirit of the Lord told him, I want you to pray with him. I want you to encourage him. He's like, God, why does this guy need encouraging? Like, he can pick up the whole gym. He should be encouraging me to do better. And so he finally said, okay, I'm going to do it. He just had this little nudge, and he walked over to him. He says, hey, man, I just want you to know I, I, I'm a Christian. I felt like God uh, wanted me to talk to you about something, and, and uh, I just felt like he told me to tell you you're not alone, that he's with you. And the guy starts heaving, crying, <sighs> and then tells him a story. He says, he said, um, my son passed away this year, and my wife and I are separated, and I'm living in my car. He goes, can I pray for you? So he prays for him right there in front of everybody in the gym. See, can I tell you something? My friend, I know he's fighting through his own issues. But in that moment, he said it's as though the spirit of the Lord is flowing through him so much that all the issues, all the sin nature doesn't have any power, any control in that moment because he's in step with the Holy Spirit. He's just in step with the Holy Spirit. When you and I get in step with the Holy Spirit, we won't gratify the sinful nature. When you and I just, and see, can I just tell you something? I have a beautiful prayer language. The Lord gave me this beautiful, I sought the Lord. I said, Lord, I want to I wanna pray in tongues like I see in the scripture, like I see all you guys in the scripture praying in tongues. Give me a prayer language. And as I sought him, he gave me a beautiful prayer language. Anytime I get in trouble, anytime I start feeling fleshly, I just begin to pray in the Spirit. As I pray in the Spirit, guess what happens? You come to my mind, I start praying for you. I'll text somebody. All of a sudden, I start flowing in the spirit and all of the mess and all the problems like, how are we going to do this? How am I going to fix this? This is not what I signed up for. This is not what you said my calling was. And now you've shifted to do this over here. And oh my God, all that just goes and it goes away because now I'm in step with the spirit of the Lord. There's power flowing through me. There's confidence flowing through me. As I begin to pray and walk in the spirit, I'm telling you, it transitions everything in my life. It just totally puts everything into focus. And now I don't need to medicate with the fleshly. Are you with me? Say yes. Early in my Christian walk. Become a Christian. Love God. Young teenage man. And, uh, and I grew up, you know, like most young, young men, looking at porn and, 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 and sneaking around and that kind of stuff. And, um, and I'll never forget, I was in Bible school my first year, and all those old images just are bombarding my brain. Bombarding my brain. All those images. And I'm in this Bible school, and we're worshiping all the pretty little ladies, and I'm finding myself lusting after them, and I'm embarrassed. I'm humiliated. I'm like, how can I be a minister? I got these issues going on. I want to hide it. And the Lord began to speak to me. I need you to own it. I need you to own it. So I went to some of my buddies, and I said, hey, guys, I was doing small group life. Man, I am just being bombarded in my brain from my past, all these images, all this perversion. They prayed for me. I was like, that's great. And then I went on a fast. I said, God, I'm going to break this thing. I'm going to break this thing. And I found every scripture on purity that I could find. And I wrote it down. And I put them in those days, three by five cards. You could put them in some kind of digital thing that you'd live in. And I had these three by, three by five cards. And everywhere I went, the moment those, my brain would start going down that, that fleshly stuff. Would start, I'd pull out that three by five card. Job 31, 3, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a woman. Second Timothy, flee youthful, youthful lust. And I began to quote the word of God. I began to get in step with the spirit of the Lord. And as I began to get in step with the spirit of the Lord and quote the word of God, it began to shift. Can I tell you, I'm happy to report, although every man in my family cheated on their wife, 
wives, I'm the first one not to cheat on my family and my wife. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, God has, what was a weakness has become a strength, and I teach purity all over the nations. I'm telling you, whatever has been your issue, come on, somebody, can be your platform. Whatever has held you down can be the thing that sells you forward. You don't have to be submitted to the fleshly, and these fleshly habits that you and I get into, you can be free, and you can be a voice to our generation of how good our God is. Are you with me today? Say yes. Let us not be like Noah. Listen, we all have issues, and maybe you're struggling with something, but it doesn't have to own you. Don't wait 300 years of dealing with the same junk. Are you with me today? Let's walk in freedom. Let's not medicate with the fleshly, but let us medicate with the things of God. Are you, are you here today? Say yes. Come on, stand with me quick.